Hey, this is Rob Liefeld. I'm the creator of Deadpool, X-Force, Cable, Domino, all your favorites. You are listening to Third Impact. Morning or afternoon. Welcome to the first official question mark, I guess, episode of Third Impact Anime of the Third Impact Anime Podcast, a podcast about anime, conventions, video games, and other things similar to that. My name is Austin, and I'm here with Ryan. Hello, everybody. And Marissa's with us. Hi. How's it going, guys? It's going. Where is it going? Uh, everywhere. Oh, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what about you, Marissa? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Life. We'll, we'll consider that a pass. But uh, pass. anyway, um, uh, super excited to uh, be back in a show with you guys. I know we haven't really done an episode together in a, in a really long time. I feel like it's been like 1,000 years since we've since the three of us have been in an episode together, honestly. 973 to be exact. Oh, okay. Yeah, my dates were a little off on that one. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a pass rounding errors. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but uh, basically, this week's episode is going to be a pretty straightforward uh, convention recap, uh, pretty much completely uh, spearheaded by Ryan because he was recently went to a convention that he wants to uh, share his experiences about. Uh, but first, there are a few little uh, housekeeping things that we need to cover and to get out there. Uh, so recently, our group has underwent a pretty large and somewhat drastic brand change. Um, this podcast uh, was formerly hosted through a channel uh, known as Borderline Anime Podcasts. Um, but for various reasons um, that I won't get into right now because they're not really relevant um to this um um a some of us on the borderline team have very peacefully and respectfully left that particular project and created this brand new project and it's called third impact anime with this being the third impact anime podcast um it's going to be pretty similar to the uh original borderline anime podcast project uh, featuring a lot of the same people and some new people, perhaps, in the future. Um, but it will be under this new name and this new brand. Um, we have set up a brand new website, um, and that's at thirdimpactanime.wordpress.com. And uh, we have a Facebook page that we are building and going to be rolling out pretty soon. And we have a lot of really cool new ideas that we're really excited about and aspirations for the future. Um, so do you guys think I've missed anything or anything else important I need to cover in that context? Uh, nope. Just many aspirations and many contents. Indeed. What do you think, Marissa? Did I miss anything or any Mm. thoughts that you wanted to add? Nope. I think you pretty much summed it all up. Cool. So, uh, yeah, we definitely wanted to update everyone who was listening on why our logo is different, why the show title is different, and that would be why. Um, and other than that, it's, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. So, um, yeah, thank you guys for listening. And I guess, you know, after that, um, we can just go ahead and jump into the topic at hand and Ryan is pretty much going to introduce that and we'll talk about the con he went to. 
So this past weekend, I had the pleasure of attending North Carolina Comic-Con, which I think actually itself has gone through a rebranding recently because it's no longer the only North Carolina Comic-Con. It's now one of two. This one was Bull City Comic-Con. And for those of you who don't know, Bull City is the nickname for Durham in North Carolina. And populated exclusively by bulls, only by bulls. And like they allow a few people to live there occasionally. How do bulls read comic books? Um, I, I really couldn't tell you that. Like, that's a question for for the very horns. delicately. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. But um, yeah, I went I went Friday through Sunday. Um, Sunday was pretty much a very black day. I don't actually have like any stories whatsoever about that. But um. Friday was a really fun day, and Saturday was even better. So, I don't know how many of you know this. I don't think I've actually mentioned it on a podcast before, but I am a giant fan of Arrow, the CW show. I've watched it since roughly the time it came out, and have been a fan ever since, because I've loved Green Arrow for God knows how long now. And when I found out they were making a show about him, I was like, what? So there yeah, was just for the uh, for the audience there who uh, who don't know, Ryan, I just want to, you know, throw out some clarification that Arrow mm-hmm. is, in fact, based on an American manga series known as a comic book. Austin, I swear <laughs> to God, <laughs> I definitely need to clarify here. <laughs> We're finally stepping our toes into comic books. Yep. A little bit. Yeah. A, little bit. A, a wee bit. Wee bit. Hopefully more to come. Aspect of it, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was an actor from Arrow who attended this con. And honestly, up until he was announced as coming, I was not going to go because I didn't really care about anybody who was going to be there. So... The actor is Michael Rowe, and he plays Deadshot on Arrow. And there were also a couple other important guests there. There was Dee Dee Magno Hall, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And she's the voice of Pearl from Steven Universe. So that was really cool as well. Oh, even I though I'm, she was there. Yeah, I'm not a huge Steven Universe fan, but I thought that was I thought that was pretty cool. Now I do have one question for clarification. This Michael Rowe has, you know, no relation to the Mike Rowe of Dirty Jobs. No, right? no. <laughs> it okay, was funny actually. Guy. When I was when I was writing down notes, I just abbreviated Mike Rowe and I was like, wait a minute. I have also met that Mike Rowe, but this is not that Mike Rowe. Are you serious? Have you met that Mike Rowe? Oh yeah, that's a story for a different though. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he's a cool guy too. So Friday, um one of my friends messaged me thursday actually uh and he's like hey i have a ticket to the zelda symphony that's in durham tomorrow night do you want to go and i was like well i don't want to be rude so uh, naturally you have to accept right right so i told him i was like yeah i'd be happy to go and he's like awesome you just have to be my ride for the day and i was like I'm going to Comic-Con in the afternoon. Do you want to come? And he's like, absolutely. I love comics. So the two of us went uh, and we met up with two of my other friends, Michael and Sarah, and we all had a great time together. First stop was I sat in front of Michael Rowe's autograph table for about 30 minutes while he got the longest coffee I could have. (laughs) He took the (laughs) longest coffee break ever. I got up there right at the time where it said he was going to start signing 
And I asked the guys, I was like, isn't Michael Rose supposed to be here and signing? They're like, oh, yeah, he just took a coffee break. He'll be back in like five minutes, 30 minutes later. (laughs) But I can respect a long coffee break personally. Just that's just I personally didn't really care because I was just like shaking out of anticipation. And the longer that I waited, the more time I had to compose myself because I loved him on Arrow. Mm -hmm. And at least (laughs) I was just going to say, at least it wasn't you having to wait in this obnoxiously long line for a good two solid hours <laughs> to see someone. So. We will get to that. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. We will get to that. So I brought uh, seasons one and two of arrow to sign for him, which he was, that was the seasons that he was most prominent in. He only appeared as a guest in the other seasons. And I walked up to him. I handed them the money. Uh, actually, no, let me get, let me backtrack for a sec. So I walked up to him, like directly to him, because normally that's what you do. And his handlers were like, hey, hey, you got to come over here first. And I was like, "Okay, what's up? And they're like, we need you to pay for the items first. And I was like, all right. And he just like looks at them and he's like, guys, he's holding the money in his hand. Let him talk. (laughs) And I was just like, bless you, sir. (laughs) So that was funny. But I understood they were just doing their job. But he was just like laughing about it. And he apologized, and I'm like, no, no, it's totally fine. And so he signed both my copies, and then I just started talking to him for a couple minutes, and I was like, man, I was so upset when you were killed off. And he was like, me too. Yeah, he was killed off in season three because of logistics with Suicide Squad. Mm. And Mm. yeah, so... I said that I said to him and he was like, I really love hearing that. Thanks, man. And he was like, yeah, it was a bummer for me, too. And it was a shock to the producers. And I was like, yeah, you did a much better job than Will Smith. Like, you're definitely the better Deadshot. And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was in Will Smith's contract that he could be the only Deadshot. So, man, and I, I was just like, wow. well, all right, then. But you well, were amazing. You some, Thank you. If you do some mental gymnastics, you can just be like, well, that just means Michael Rowe was reincarnated as Will Smith. <laughs> well, yeah. that, uh, that lovely contract of he can't be dead shot anymore. Uh, I got a little fuzzy this past season. <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a lot that happened with that, like specifically with Suicide Squad as well, because from what he told me, they were actually gearing up to make a Suicide Squad spinoff show. like. On Arrow, they had a couple episodes featuring the Suicide Squad, and they were going to actually spin them off and make a Suicide Squad show, which would have been amazing. Hmm. Because all the actors they had playing the various members were all amazing. And so he was like, yeah, well, I have other projects and I'm happy with them and I loved my time on Arrow. And he guest starred on The Flash as well. So later that night, uh, after the artist alley closed, we got there kind of late. So we were only able to cover half of the artist alley. And this was a gigantic artist alley this year. It was like absolutely massive. It took up four of the um, conference hall rooms. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Like, because in comparison to say like Heroes Con, was it bigger or was it like on par with? Well, Heroes Con. Heroes is a little different. Like Heroes was basically a giant dealer room that had some panels like shoved in the middle. But Heroes had a lot more creators there. This one had like they had so many creators heroes. Like the, to it put this one to shame. They had about what, like 12 to 15 creators at Comic-Con here. Yeah, I think that's about right. And 
the artists were like another two rows. They had about 20 or so various like local fan artists. And then they had an, an entirely separate dealer's room, which was kind of, eh. Mm. Uh, I, I've kind of come to the conclusion once you've seen one dealer's room and gone through and gotten what you want, you've pretty much seen them all unless you get lucky and find a new stall that you haven't seen before. Or start traveling out of state. Right. That's true. And I did see a couple of familiar dealers, but I actually did see a few that I hadn't seen before, which was cool, but they just weren't selling anything I really cared about. And uh, once again, the games dealer was viciously overcharging, which I hate absolutely just I hate it when they do that. But oh, look, another Funko Pop booth. I've never seen one of those before. <laughs> there was actually only one of those this time. I was impressed. Oh, bless. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, he was he was actually a nice guy. I talked to him for a little bit. Um so later that night after we covered what we covered on day one, um, we went to a panel that was basically a QA with DD Magno Hall and Michael Rowe. Was it in that really beautiful, like old school theater ballroom? Oh yeah, thing? the Carolina Theater, yeah. Yeah, um I've I went to NC Comic Con the last two years and they always held the uh the big like premiere panels in there and that's that's just a beautiful, beautiful venue in the Carolina Theater. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. My dad was actually on the board for the Carolina Theater for a little while, so I've oh, been wow. there quite a few times. Yeah, it's an amazing, such an amazing place. And like I really hope that place never closes down because it's just like it, it's that old school style feel of like mm-hmm. watching a movie. And the fact that it's connected to the convention center just makes it a really unique experience. It's like, yeah, I didn't actually know that until this year. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy to just like sort of, you know, be walking through the convention center and then suddenly, oh, there's a popcorn stand and a movie theater right here. Where have yeah. I, where have I ended up? Like I walked through the door that they like told me they're like, yeah, it's through here. Like just make a left. And so I did. And I was like, wait, we're in the Carolina theater. Oh, okay. And like, I was looking around because I've been in there quite a few times and I was just like, huh, I never knew that door led to the convention center. <laughs> so it was just a funny thing. But um, yeah, so I, I didn't really absorb much from Dee Dee Magno Hall. She had a few funny stories about how she got herself started. She was a, she was a actor at Disney and I don't mean she was one of the characters. She did the stage plays. Oh, but cool. Disney is like so strict when it comes to their brand. They told her specifically, you are not Belle. You are an actress who plays Belle. You can't tell the kids you're Belle. And I was right, like, right. I was like, what? Disney, Yeah, no, Disney is so like paranoid about maintaining just the sense of wonder when you're at a Disney park that you can't deviate from their narrative at all or you'll get fired and I don't know right but, uh, it's it's as I understand it that if you're a an actress that play or an actor that plays one of those characters if you ever refer like you cannot refer to yourself as the actor that plays blank you have to say I am friends with Belle or I am friends with Ariel or something like that yeah that's what she said yeah and Which she was playing really, it's a really interesting way like to in character no, no, like, like okay. in her street clothes. If, if you, know? you do, if you do oh, the, the okay. stage play and then you meet the kids afterwards, you are not allowed to say I am Belle. You say I'm just an actress. I am friends with Belle. Exactly. Like something okay. like that. 
it's so weird like because bell is i mean like all of those the princesses and etc are supposed to be established as being real for the for the mind of the child yeah. if that makes sense. um but you know it, at risk of going into tangent town i'll never mind <laughs> right from what i gathered though like from any voice actor that i've met she actually seems to be one that is more connected to the fandom than any other one i've met before like it was super cool. Like she took a couple questions about like the character specifically, and she had like detail what seemed to be detailed answers. And I was like, that's actually really impressive. I've never actually met a voice actor who, when asked about the show that they voice act for, actually was able to give a response to the fan. Cause some of the times that we've done it, they've been like, I don't really follow it that much, but like here's what I do know, or something along those lines. Well, I think she she kind of is in a very different position than like anime voice actors, for example, because the anime voice actors are sort of just given the material. Um, but occasionally when it comes to like American productions of cartoons, especially if the creative team is like very connected to each other uh, from the writing staff to the artist staff to the, you know, down to the actors and the directors, then. Like, there can be that level of synergy that may not necessarily be there when it comes to, like, anime dubbing, for example. Right. And she said also, she's a mom. Her kids are into Aww. Steven Universe, so. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, and she didn't really actually comment how they feel about the fact that she's Pearl. She just kind of is like, yeah, my, my kids watch it, so I, I've definitely watched Steven Universe. Mm-hmm. And you know, that was really cool. That. It's funny you mention that because um, I think maybe two years ago, uh, whenever Gerard Way was first a guest at that con, he made a comment on based on one of the fan questions like, uh, what do you watch with your daughter? And he was just like, oh, we we watch Steven Universe together. So it's it's really funny seeing it come full circle like that. Yeah, yeah. And then he but, said um, he said Pearl was his favorite character. Come to think of it. Oh, that's funny. Too bad he wasn't here this year. That would have been that would have been really funny. I can't blame him because I know the production on Umbrella Academy, both the third volume and the TV show are probably sort of, you know, really in that, you know, creative grind stage right now. So it's probably that's probably the reason why he didn't come this year. But I'm looking forward to seeing him again next year because he's one of my personal favorite uh, non anime creators. Mm -hmm. Um, So after she did her thing, it was a it was an hour panel and it was 30 minutes for her and 30 minutes for Michael Rowe. He got up there and they asked him like about being Deadshot because that's what pretty much everybody was there to see. And so (laughs) he was just like, yeah, when I first auditioned for the role, they gave me like a very generic thing. And the character's name was Finn the Sniper. And (laughs) they said he was former military, like yada, yada, generic description of roughly what Deadshot is. He's and Captain so, America, but for Finland. <laughs> yeah, so what? he's like, yeah, so I got I kind of got an idea for the character. I went in audition, did some stuff, and the guy was like and the guy was like, Do you have any tattoos? And he was like, no. And he's like, alright, cool, we'll give you a call. And so he was no, like that's a random question. <laughs> well, let me explain. So after that he was like damn it, I lost the role. And so he goes outside and sees this guy just absolutely decked out in tattoos. And he's like, congrats, buddy. So <laughs> he goes home and then he gets the call like a couple days later. And it's like, yeah, you got the role. You're you're the guy. And he was like, awesome. So the reason they asked if he has tattoos in the show, 
Deadshot tattoos the names of all of his victims all over himself. They wanted a clean slate to work with. Mm, Makes sense. So him not having tattoos was a winner. That's what I thought it was. was Right, right. There has to be some funny reason. He nice told little, uh, yeah. nice little bait and switch there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And he told a funny story when he got there. He wasn't actually told at this point that he was Deadshot. He still thought he was Finn the Sniper. So, <laughs> and Deadshot's name isn't even Finn, by the way. It's Floyd. So mm-hmm. it wasn't even remotely close. Except the so, F. Right, yeah. So he gets on set and people are calling him Deadshot. He's like, nah, you got the wrong guy. I'm, I'm this guy, Finn. And so they're, <laughs> so he goes into wardrobe. And Deadshot had this very elaborate costume, albeit budget costume, because Arrow Season 1 shows its age. And he was just like, what? And so he gears up. They're doing some scenes. All of a sudden, he hears his truck alarm going off. And he doesn't know what set it off. So he but he thinks, like, shoot, somebody's trying to steal my car. So he runs outside. Still decked out in this gear. And mind you, Deadshot has a lot of guns. Like, a lot of guns. And he just, he said, nobody was there. I turned off my car. But he's like, but could you imagine if someone was trying to steal my car? (laughs) And everybody just lost it. Because I, like, got this image in my head of this guy who's wearing a bionic eye who has wrist guns (laughs) decked out in, like, Kevlar and everything. He may or may not have been carrying a rifle. I don't know. He didn't specify. But just like imagine somebody like that coming to stop a robber. It might stop him. I, I think I have a pretty good idea that it might. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he also did a um, cameo on The Flash a uh, couple years ago. I think it was in season two. And he was basically the polar opposite of Deadshot. And you can censor this later, but he called him Shitshot. Uh, and that was out of his that was out of his mouth. So I'm quoting him. And he said that he thought he was going to hate that at first, but wound up having more fun than he ever had on Arrow with it. Cool. Yeah. I also asked him what his favorite uh, interaction was with any of the cast members on either show. And he was like Carlos Valdez, who plays Cisco Ramon on Flash, because he ad libs so much. And he just any time he ad libbed, he just lost it like every time. <laughs> That's great. So that was the last thing we did on Friday. We went to the Zelda Symphony, which, by the way, was just absolutely fantastic. So was the Zelda Symphony part of NC Comic Con? Not at all. It just happened to be on the same day. Well, isn't that funny? It was, and I was really happy I got to go because I wanted to go at first, but then, um, you know, I paid for Comic Con, and I was like, eh, I'm not gonna buy another fifty dollar ticket. My friend Will gets these tickets as a present and he invites me and I was like, awesome, two birds. So that seems uh, like a really interesting conundrum. I wonder, you know, how that happened, because I'm sure that both events were aware of each other at the time. They were. Well, Comic-Con ended at like seven that day and Zelda didn't start till like 830. Wow, that's just (laughs) timing and we we noticed we noticed the crossover was real like there were a lot of people that we saw who were like still in cosplay from comic-con who came to zelda well it makes sense created a net positive maybe i don't know oh i'm i'm sure it did it was it was amazing like and i actually ran into two of my friends from greensboro that i haven't seen since we graduated which was awesome what were you gonna say marissa but i was gonna say it would kind of make sense that a lot of people would kind of 
I don't know, they might have correlated it or it might have just been a massive coincidence on both of their parts. Mm-hmm. Um, but it made sense that there was a lot of con goers at the Zelda Symphony, considering if you have a lot of out of um, state or out of city people, it's like, might as well do both. Might as well Pretty much, anything. yeah. So... Yep. Yep. The really funny thing about that, as amazing as the Zelda set was, while we were waiting in the atrium for them to actually let us in, they had like ambient music, like orchestrated Zelda stuff. And all of a sudden I hear Hikari from Kingdom Hearts. And I just like stop and I look around and Michael uh, was with me as well. And he just goes, you're not crazy. I hear it too. And I was like, oh. I was just like, why are they playing Kingdom Hearts? Not that I'm complaining because this track is amazing. And I also just saw this live. But why are they playing Kingdom Hearts? (laughs) That question later became a different one. I walk into the bathroom and all of a sudden I hear a very familiar like rhythm and tones. And I'm just like, this sounds like Attack on Titan. (laughs) And sure enough, they were playing the opening for Attack on Titan orchestrated. Huh. So were they just playing like a pre-show like fandom song medley of some kind? I guess so, because other than that, all of them were Zelda except for those two. And I was like, well, they know their audience, but this is bizarre. And I didn't know this existed, but I want to find it now. Were you um, were you talking? Was it just like over the speakers or were the actual performers doing this song? It was over the speakers. Oh, okay, That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. No, you do not want to like blow your chops when you're a performer. You don't play any more than necessary. Speaking as somebody who did that all through like from elementary through high school. Right. I understand that. I was right. just looking for clarification. But right. Um, yeah, I guess um, while we're on this topic, um, just give us your rundown of the Zelda Symphony and how it stacks up to uh, the Kingdom Hearts Symphony, because I know that would be, you know, your most recent frame of reference. And that was my most recent frame of reference. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely enjoyed Kingdom Hearts more. But I think that's because they put exponentially more effort into the Kingdom Hearts one than they did the Zelda one. Mm-hmm. Like the, the Zelda one is a pretty is an annual thing, if I if I recall right. It has been for the past two years, yeah. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, it was an amazing show. I loved every second of it. But there were just little nuances. Like they replayed a few of the things that were on the. Um, orchestrated soundtrack that came with Skyward Sword, which I did like hearing live, but I had heard it. Mm. Um, Mm. Kingdom Hearts, all but like two or three of the tracks were all brand new, like interpretations of it. Oh, I see. Oh, Mm. so not very many were what we had not heard before. No, there were a fair amount. It was just, there were, there was about four of them that they directly ripped off and it was cool to hear them live. Mm. Definitely cool. But I was like, I kind of half wish that I was hearing something new, but I'm not going to complain. So also, when you, when you say something new, you mean like a new orchestration of an existing song, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. And the weirdest, the weirdest one. Have either of you finished Breath of the Wild or at least gotten to the Goron Village? No. Not quite. No, okay. I haven't. I Breath am of the Wild. Breath- I am playing Breath of the Wild and enjoying it immensely, so continue. Right, yeah. So Breath of the Wild, as you've kind of gathered, has very subtle music. Definitely. Except for like Mm -hmm. two tracks in the entire thing. One of those tracks is the Goron Village theme, and it's like the most just kind of like little bop your head to it type of thing. (laughs) They busted out like 
an incredible arrangement of that song. And my friend Will and I, and that's what they did for the finale. We looked at each other and we were like, well, I didn't see that one coming. Hmm. It was great. But like, we were just like, that is the weirdest thing ever like orchestrate because it was so simple before. Then they just made it this extravagant, like amazing thing. And best track to me was when they did the encore, they did a track from Link's Awakening, which is my absolute favorite Zelda of all time. They did the Ballad of the Windfish. And I oh. said, I said to Will, I was like, only thing that can make this better is if they do something from Link's Awakening. And then as I said that, the little Game Boy screen pops up and I just lost it. I started like spazzing in my seat and he's just like calm. And I was like, no. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Oh my gosh. Um, But question, because you mentioned about the fact that a majority of the songs, not all of them, were songs that pretty much we've already heard orchestrated because of the... um, Skyward the Sword, the CD. Um, what songs didn't you hear that you wanted to actually hear that we've never had an orchestral version before? Because I know we asked this for the Kingdom Hearts panel. Okay. I'm technically half ignoring your question with this one because they have had an orchestrated version of it, but they did not play and I was surprised about it. And that was Gerudo Valley because that's one of the most popular <gasps> things of all time. Yeah, no, they did. And I was really surprised about that. Oh, I love that version too. Because right. I've played um because i didn't actually play the n64 version blasphemy i started with the um <laughs> i got the 3ds version which is i will say it's a lot easier to play oh yeah um, that's why easier, it but, yep yeah. <laughs> but when i got to gerudo valley because the first um like instance of me actually hearing the song was from the orchestral version and I would just listen to it in the car and I listened to the N64 slash um, 3DS remake song and I'm like this is this is not the same song nope at all nope it's, it's the same I hear the same thing but it's not as epic and I'm like this this is weird this is making me trippy because the song's right. the same but it doesn't sound the same yeah, the Weird. the one to answer to answer your original question though they they mm-hmm. played the Twilight Princess and Wind Waker medleys. Which are they, beautiful. They are beautiful, and the Wind Waker one I was in, that was amazing. Uh, and they played the Ballad of the Goddess from Skyward Sword. Um, what I wish they had done was the temple theme from Zelda Two, and I wish we had gotten like a boss medley like the one we got in kingdom hearts had like the ansem the Zemnis, and the young xehanort themes all melded into one i loved that one so much i kind of wanted a boss medley because so many of the bosses over the zelda franchise started getting their own unique uh battle themes Mm -hmm. i really wanted some of those because some of those were just favorites yeah if i recall because it's been a while since i've listened to both Wind Waker and Twilight Princess, but I think for Twilight Princess, they do play one of Ganondorf's battle themes they in do. the mix. Yeah. Um, so that might well, have yeah, they had they, they had did. a couple of them. Yeah, they had a couple of them mixed in, but they didn't get just like a straight yeah. awesome. No, there wasn't. Mm, that would have been so, cool. Was there a was there a video uh, video accompaniment to the concert? There was, and that was actually one of the reasons why I didn't like this one as much as the Kingdom Hearts one, because it was a lot lazier. They either played a trailer or gameplay footage, and the gameplay footage annoyed me because they were bad at it. 
Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I think that's what you kind of get because I know that, um, I mean, I don't know exactly who was in charge of, of making that in particular for the Zelda Symphony, but Nomura himself put together the uh, video compilation for the Kingdom Hearts Orchestra. So that's probably why he did. Was, you know, the production so value excellent. for Kingdom Hearts was so much better than this one. And like that, again, that is not to say this was not good. It was entirely worth it. And they did have the uh, higher ups at Nintendo have video messages, which was really cool. Oh, that's rad. I don't think they had as much of a hand as Nomura did in actually putting it together, though. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, I know that the Kingdom Hearts concert was like specifically made for the 15th anniversary of the franchise, and it was it was a really big deal. So it was very like closely curated. Yeah, yeah. in fact, it was very limited um, locations. While the Zelda Symphony has, as you said, it this is the second year they've had. So it's. I remember when we went to the Kingdom Hearts, I was like, "Wait, what? There's a Zelda Symphony coming nearby to us with." like 10 times the amount of locations as the kingdom hearts one mm-hmm. yeah a little yeah lower production budget because they're going everywhere while kingdom hearts was a little higher with the fact mm-hmm. that it was being like okay we're gonna give them what they want because there's only there was only like what four uh six i think six, but they were seven. there were only Worldwide. two in this country oh yeah there's two here and there was one in france whatever there was a hand there wasn't very many and they were spread over the world yeah, yeah technically there were four in the United States because two nights each in New York. And right, yeah. True. That's but, true. Yeah, that's neither here nor there. It's whatever. Right, but I, I definitely liked that, and that was a great way to round out um, Friday night. And then just Saturday, everything just went from, like, good to great, just in general. Um, We woke up. We got there at about, I want to say, 11 o'clock, and we immediately got in line for Rob Liefeld's panel. Now, Rob Liefeld is the creator of Dead. So that was super cool. And we, he again was in the Carolina theater. So we waited in line for about an hour while we ate some donuts and we got in, he did his panel and he just told so many funny stories. The first thing he did is he empties his pockets. Cause he's like, Oh my God, I got way too much stuff in here. He drops his Deadpool wallet on the couch and he's like, by the way, a Deadpool wallet is a conversation piece. Anybody who sees it is going to want to talk to you about Deadpool. He told us when he was getting in on Thursday night or Friday night that he was at this like convenience store paying $30 for a bag of nuts. And um, he pulls out the Deadpool wallet, and the lady behind the counter was like, oh, my God, I love Deadpool. Don't you? And he was like, I do love Deadpool. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. he just like goes on she's like oh my god it's so great and what about cable do you like cable too and he's like i do like cable too <laughs> and just like i don't think he ever told this lady that he was actually the person who made them because he told us he gets that conversation roughly 10 times a day i'm sure <laughs> yeah and <laughs> he said that just <laughs> It's been surreal for him because he started working on comics when he was 18 because he was a horrible student and had no ambition whatsoever. Besides, he to draw. He was apparently told in high school to stop drawing on his exams. <laughs> and Oops. so he started off at DC. He wrote for Hawk and Dove and he did the art as well. He moved on later on because the editor at the time at DC was a jerk. and. 
he got a call from Marvel and he was like, they were like, yeah, we want you to come write and draw for X-Men. He gets the call from Bob Harris, who is the legendary editor of X-Men. Oh my gosh. Roughly (laughs) Was this like the early 90s era X-Men? Because that's when that premiered, right? Right, right. He he told us (laughs) that he gets the call from Bob Harris and he thought it was a prank. He was like, I don't believe you. Give me a number. If they don't pick up and say Marvel Comics, then I don't believe you. And And the guy was like, Okay, <laughs> so he hangs up, he calls the number, and they're like, Marvel Comics, how may I direct your call? And he was like, oh my god. And so <laughs> he's like, I'd like to speak to Bob Harris, please. And they're like, one second. Hey, so you're with me, Rob? And he was like, yes, I am with you. <laughs> <laughs> so he, tur- he originally turned down the first job they offered him, which was X Factor, because he didn't want to follow like a legendary run. He's like, give me something that's on the chopping block. They were like, are you sure this is a lot of money? This is a great job. And he's like, yeah, give me something that's on the chopping block. I want to be able to save something. So they were like, okay. They gave him the very close to death new mutant. And he saved that by creating cable. And he turned a comic that was getting roughly hundred thousand sales, which for a comic is not that much into a million sales. Like instantly. So you might you might get to this in a second, but um, how did he earn the trust of Marvel Comics to be able to create a character that was the offspring of two of their like flagship X-Men? Um, he didn't specify on that, but I know from personal knowledge that it didn't he didn't start as that. They didn't really actually delve into Cable's origin for a, a little while. So okay. I don't know if that's how he actually began. Okay, so that was probably something that came later because, I mean, it's not like they're going to let a guy just waltz in and be like, here, I'm creating the son of the two, you know, leaders exactly. of the X-Men, essentially. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. It was more From the future a, as well. Yeah, exactly. it was probably more of a, the fact that it was just like, ooh, cool future guy. Let's run with that. And because of the fact of him getting a lot more popular and his... Yeah, it was basically... Um, sales increased. It was like, we need to expand upon this character more. Yeah, it was basically, it it was just a giant mutant with a very, very big gun. (laughs) So (laughs) that was what he was, and he sold really well. How how classically 90s. Right, yeah. (laughs) Basically everything, yeah, everything of this screams 90s. He told us also how he came up with Deadpool. He created a, I think it was also in New Mutants. It was a little later down the line, though. He came up with three characters to premiere in this one issue, and it was Deadpool, Domino, and the third character, who I forget for obvious reasons, because time has forgotten them. Wait, he also created Um, Domino? Yeah, he created Domino. Oh, nice. And so he he said, to this day, I think two out of three is pretty good. Because he assumed one out of the three would stick, and he was like, okay, I got two. I can live with that. He said the inspiration for Deadpool in this, I never knew. And I think this is the absolute funniest thing. Todd McFarlane, who was doing Spider-Man at the time, always would mock him and be like, oh, my God, Liefeld, while you're still drawing teeth, I'm already inking. So he was just like, all I have to do is circle, 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 and then I'm ready to go. Because, you know, (laughs) Spider-Man's design is very basic. Mm -hmm. So he was like, "Okay, McFarlane. How about this? Circle, circle, circle. And that's how the design of Deadpool came about. Oh my gosh. 
I mean, they literally do frequently does... make the joke, and it's hard to deny that Deadpool does look like a Spider-Man ripoff. Yeah, he literally designed him to be Spider-Man with swords. That's what yep. he told us. Like, he didn't even deny it. He's like, yeah, I did it out of spite, and he became a most successful character ever. <laughs> and ironically, Deadpool and Spider-Man get along so well in the comics. I would yeah. so well in quotes. <laughs> well, well, it's... He loves Deadpool Spider-Man. Like, he had an issue of that at his table available to buy and sign. Like, he, he loves And it's, it's more like Peter tolerates Deadpool, and Deadpool's just like, Spidey, I love you. And he's like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to do this, pretty, and you're going to leave me alone when we're done. Pretty much, yeah. But um, also, so you know how Deadpool's thing is he had cancer, went through, you know, a program. That's how he got his powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The reason Deadpool has cancer is because Rob Liefeld lost his dad to a brain tumor when he was like really, really young. So that was kind of a homage. Ah, I see. And um, like his dad was, well, his dad had a brain tumor and was like crippled for most of his life. He died at a very young age. So he said like, yeah, I wanted to honor him in some way. So mm. I did. That's and he, he told like a lot of stories about his dad. It was like really heart wrenching. <laughs> and um. Probably the funniest thing he told us is when X-Men Origins came out, Deadpool was one of the villains. And so he went to see it in theaters. How could could we forget? (laughs) Right. Yeah. And so he, he didn't have anything really to do with it beyond like, you know, a little bit. He didn't, he said not nearly as much as he had to do with uh, Deadpool, the movie. Mm -hmm. And he said, so they're going, they're watching it. And when Deadpool comes on the, str- the screen the first time when he's like mouthing off, he was just like, oh, my God. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds nailed it. And so then he was like, awesome. I'm so excited for this. And then the rest of the movie happened and, <laughs> and he walked out. Deadpool. Right. He walked out and he was like kind of annoyed. He was like, oh, my God, what the heck did they do to my character? And so he I can't went with him. right. Oh, he, yeah. But here's the best part. He went to the movie with his kids and his friends kids. So the kids all came out and loved it because kids don't have critical minds, nor did they probably know who Deadpool was beforehand. So he said they were all like, all right, yeah. And they like started play fighting. The one guy's like, I want to be Deadpool. And he stops him. He's like, hold on. Based on what you just saw. Why do you want to be Deadpool? And the kid's answer is the greatest thing ever. And he said, kid logic can never be beat by any adult logic. And he said, well, it took both Wolverine and Sabretooth to bring down Deadpool. So he's pretty strong. That's fair. It is fair. (laughs) Despite the um, silencing of Deadpool, he was kind of an annoyance. Yeah. But... He went on to like thank the fans in the audience for making Deadpool the movie happen because he really wanted that to happen. He even schemed years ago to leak the test footage himself. And then his lawyers were like, don't do that. You'll get sued. And he is like, OK, I don't want to get sued because I have a family to take care of. So he didn't do it. Right. Yeah. So he didn't do it. And then it eventually happened. And he was just like, thank you so much, because that was amazing. and. He loved it. Um, he also 
I don't know if you guys saw this around the time that Deadpool came out. There's a um, publication called Good Housekeeping, which is basically a, a like a homemaker magazine that has like recipes, stuff you can do around the house to make your house like, you know, nice. They had a Deadpool variant of that around Thanksgiving when the movie was coming out. And it was filled with Deadpool puns and everything. Hold on, let me grab it real quick because he gave one of these to everybody in the audience. You mean the Thanksgiving before Deadpool came out? Because Deadpool came out on Valentine's Day. Right, the Thanksgiving before. So this thing was apparently an urban myth for a while. Even the people at Good Housekeeping didn't know that this thing existed because it was printed very secretively because they didn't want people, you know, sneaking half the stock out the back. And he gave every single member of the audience one of these. It's like at least a $20 gift before he put his signature on it, which made this thing probably worth about $100. So thank you. Wow. Here's, on the, here's on what's on the front page. How to be a holiday supper hero. Come for the gifts. Stay for the package. Oh my God. <laughs> Tis the season to put the fun back in dysfunctional. <laughs> and turkey tips. Giving your family the bird. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, Ryan, if you would be so kind, snap a photo of the cover of that and uh, some few choice pages, and we'll put it up on the website. Sounds good. I don't think any of it's actually like explicit directly. There's innuendo everywhere, but I don't think because it is like you know, this is something they actually sold. I right. think it's clean, but it's right. so funny. And the front page has Deadpool in an apron holding a turkey. Incredible! Oh my gosh. <laughs> It's amazing, but he gave everybody in the audience one of those, and he signed the first 50 for free. So when we heard that, we immediately beelined it out of there and got into his line, which was starting right after. We got we were in the first 50, which was really awesome. We waited in his line for two and a half hours. Oh my gosh. Let me say this once to make it abundantly clear. Thank God for the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> it made that so much more bearable because Michael and I were co-oping uh, Fire Emblem Warriors while waiting and I paused for a little bit I got up, took some pictures of the boss players walking by and those will all be up on our website by the way so be on the lookout for those there there were so many incredible cosplays I was like thrilled and I got uh, Rob Layfield to sign my Deadpool print that I got to sign that I got signed by Fabian at Heroes Con. So I have both of the creators of Deadpool who have signed a Deadpool print. Which what did the other guy do for it? He signed it. No, I know, but what did he do? Oh, he he's the co-creator of Deadpool. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I should have clarified that. That's yeah, fine. I met the co-creator of Deadpool at Heroes Con this past summer, and then I met the one who's like credited with actually making him now. Mm -hmm. So I got both of them to sign in. That was like one of the best moments ever, because as you heard at the beginning of this podcast, he also recorded a voice plug. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, so that was amazing. I I just went up to him. I bought a uh, Bad Blood variant as well, which is an amazing Deadpool story. And it has a really cool cover. And he signed that for me. And I got a copy of Deadpool Secret Secret War signed for one of my friends. and. So I I go to him while he's signing this stuff and I was like, I really hope that this isn't too much to ask, but I run a podcast and I like hold up my phone. He's like, what do you want me to say before I even finish the sentence? And I was just like, 
thank you, by the way. And then like I told him and he, he ad lived a little bit, but he got the point across and you heard it. It was amazing. Um, we, we really appreciate that. Yeah. It's <laughs> an awesome and, little plug. Oh yeah. I, I, I was over the wall happy. <laughs> and so after that, I immediately like go around to the artist because there's an artist that's like local ish. He goes to a lot of the free comic days that I've gotten to know over the years. I bought the Deadpool print from him mm-hmm. that I had signed and I didn't know he was going to be there. So I was like, hey, I don't know if you remember, but I bought this from you at free comic book day a couple of years ago. Look who just signed it. And he was like, dude. So <laughs> he like took a picture of it and put it on his website. And he was just like, thank you for showing me that. That actually means like a lot. Do you and, know if he had um, if he had copies of that same print available for sale at that con, or was it something that he had cycled out? I looked; he didn't have any of that one, but he had so much Deadpool. Oh, I see. Yeah, he had a lot of Deadpool. So he he told me he was going to go later and get Rob to sign one of them, and uh, I think he did it. I didn't actually check back with him, but he was he was really excited to see that. So that was cool. Best part of. With best part of Rob Liefeld, though, Michael, Sarah, and I, after waiting in the line for two and a half hours, it was time to eat. So we walk outside to the food trucks and we got some Korean food and it was amazing, by the way. Like, that oh, my Korean God, those food, food truck is incredible. It was like the most like unassuming truck. And then just the food was so good. Absolutely. Like food trucks are really amazing. They're they're so good. Mm-hmm. But. So we're sitting there waiting for our order, and this is shortly after his signing had ended. So we're standing there, we're talking. I just happen to look up, and I see him standing there just on his phone smoking a cigarette. (laughs) And so, yeah. And so I just, like, tapped Michael, and I was like, dude, look. And he was like, oh, my God, he's standing right there. And so I was like, go say hi to him? And he was like, nah, we don't want to be obnoxious. And I was like, yeah, but there was a... The photos in there were 20 bucks, and that's why I didn't want to get one. But I, I really want a photo with him. So we were just like, all right, let's just be cool about it. So we walk up to him. And we were like, Mr. Liefeld, could we please bother you to? He's like, get over here. Let's take a photo. And I was like, you've <laughs> probably been asked like everything that I've asked you today, like about a billion times, because <laughs> he was so cool about it. He was like, he was such a genuine guy as well. And like his personality, he's definitely the guy who made Deadpool. But the funniest thing that I found out is that he is not the person who broke the fourth wall with Deadpool. He said that Jim Lee is. Oh, cool. Like, I I got to ask him a question during the panel, and I said, how did you manage to pitch to Marvel in the 90s that this was a character who's going to break the fourth wall? And he's like, I actually didn't do that. I wrote Deadpool as he was, and then Jim Lee, when he took him over a little bit later, broke the fourth wall. Interesting. I was like, all right, that's actually really funny. And I didn't know that. So thank you. But yeah, meeting him was easily the highlight of the con. For me. But there is a there is a lot to do there. I definitely spent some time in the artist alley. I got nine prints. <laughs> because a lot have, of people had deals. You have enough wall space. We're going to find out. <laughs> also, one of those prints is mine. <laughs> no, actually, one of those prints isn't you. I didn't count yours. Oh, you didn't count mine. Oh, you got that many with a yeah. dang. Yeah. Jeez. I got a couple night wings. I got another Batman Beyond. I got a Deadpool and Deathstroke, which I really like. Um, 
just a couple uh, other random ones. Funniest one I got, and I got this one for free because it was a buy two, get one, and the guy wouldn't knock down the price so I could just buy two instead of get another one because God knows I might not have the wall space. It was <laughs> it was Batman versus the Predator and Alien. I'm uh, ready for that movie. Yeah, and I was just like, all right, that's pretty funny. I'm going to get this. And I also got some Star Wars ones because as a giant Star Wars fan, I had a severe lacking of Star Wars stuff. <clears throat> I also picked up a mug of Rick and Morty from a local artist that I also know. She uh, works at my comic store and she had a booth. It's from the episode where Rick goes into the uh, miniverse and convinced the aliens that the double middle finger means peace among worlds. <laughs> so it has Rick giving the double middle finger with the caption in very pretty font that says peace among worlds. I think I saw that. Did you yeah. post that? <laughs> I think I did post that. Yeah, I was very happy about that. It made me laugh. It shows that you're a true intellectual. Oh, yes. I My, my IQ is definitely high enough to be able to truly appreciate Rick and Morty. Marissa and I just cannot hold a candle to your intelligence. Oh, no. How did did that meme even start? (laughs) Long story. Yeah, I mean, like, oh, my God. Fandom sometimes, I'll tell you. It's, ugh. (laughs) Don't like things. It's too exhausting. (laughs) It's hard to like stuff. Yeah. But, um. be casual for the rest of your life. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the end of this podcast forever. Goodbye. We don't like things anymore. <laughs> we don't like things anymore. We're going purely casual. We don't have fandoms. We don't have favorites. It's boring. Yeah. And Venera, really. Yeah. We, we went as quick as we came. Indeed. Oh so the last thing to round out uh, Saturday was the Guardians of the Gala, which was basically the rave. And that was amazing. I've gone yeah. to like. I've gone to a couple of the like raves or dances or whatever they try to call them at various cons. This glow was the party. Yeah, glow stick parties or whatnot. This was the best out of any of them that I've ever been to. So what does it mean to be the best of rave or glow stick party? I had the most fun. Okay. And so... that's partially due to the fact that I brought the monkey suit. The were you, monkey suit? Were you in the Kigu? Yeah, I was in the Kigu. Okay, you were in your little Kigu. I was yeah. like, it's either that or you were going as Banania, and then everyone been like, hey, the banana again. But. Yeah. No, I bought the literal monkey suit, and that was a lot of fun. Because there are a lot of just people in cosplay just dancing like people who have no rhythm while Run DMC performed for us. <laughs> I would say that that in of itself is probably something that sets this particular glow stick party apart from from others. Definitely. Run (laughs) DMC was amazing. He is such a fun guy. Like I met him during the weekend as well. And like. He has such an intense personality on stage. He is nothing like that in person. He is like such a chill dude. He is so nice. He'll shake your hand, give you a high five, bear hug, whatever. And he had his entourage following him like the entire time. And I was just like, all right, cool. (laughs) And he performed a couple songs before he turned it back over to the DJ. And we just had the night of our lives. Like it was basically a middle school dance that had actual professionals performing for us. I guess that's better than a regular middle school dance. Yeah. And (laughs) regular con dance. Yeah, pretty much. 
And the best the best part of the gala was the fact that the MC of it was a drag queen who is dressed like Pearl. Oh, wow. Wow, that's cool. So that was really cool. And she was good because everybody was trying to figure out if she was a drag queen or not. (laughs) (laughs) And she eventually was just like, I'll also be performing at the drag show later tonight. We were all like, "Okay, yeah, he is. But like she was she was that good. She looked really like amazing. And that was pretty much like the end of the con for me because I went Sunday, but I didn't want to spend any money because God knows I spent enough. And um, we just kind of toured around, took some more pictures, uh, talked to some people, saw what more we could get out of it. We went and talked to one of our artist friends and she said that she was doing all right. And that was pretty much North Carolina Comic Con. Like it was an incredible weekend that I actually had moderate expectations for that were blown out of the water. So I've got a question for you, um, and it's it's kind of more of a general question. But um, what do you think that you know uh, comic book conventions can learn from anime cons, and what do you think that anime cons can learn from comic conventions? Because you and I both know, and and Marissa as well, all of us do, because we've been to both. Um, that there are some, you know, differences in what kind of conventions they are. So what, what do you think about it, Ryan, since you were, you know, most recently immersed in, in a comic con? I noticed that the people who tend to attend comic conventions, there is crossover, by the way, like there are a lot of people that we do know from like an amazement that we saw, we said hi to, but they're also some of the more tame fans. A lot of anime cons have a lot of crazy people who do crazy stuff for attention and wind up on the front page of Reddit. Hmm. This con has a lot of older people who have been collecting comics since the times they were like, you know, 10 and now they're in their 50s. And one of the guys I know from my comic store is one of those people. And he was really excited. And I was just like, man, I really hope that the people don't come out of the woodwork this time uh, because, you know, it'll give. It'll give it a bad name. And thankfully that didn't happen. There were no like egregious stories beyond like, you know, the normal random stuff you have happening. That's not even really worth mentioning. It wasn't a big deal at all. Thank God. Mm -hmm. And it was much more enjoyable because people weren't just like screaming and trying to make a scene for the sake of attention. That's kind of what I've noticed is the massive difference. So you're kind of saying the distinction is more in the age demographics, like balances between those. The maturity of the fans. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that does directly correlate to age demographics, I would argue. It does. It does. There is um, there was one person who was a vocaloid who is kind of acting out for attention. And like, for God's sakes, if you're an underage girl, especially do not be flouncing around at a rave with a lot of older men. It is not going to end well for you. Like, please. Right. You you have to you know, exercise some of that caution, but it is up on the, you know, the responsibility of the convention community in general to, you know, be a force that will protect, you know, younger kids that may not know any better. Absolutely. It definitely is. But I was just like, you can't control everything. Like, I'd rather this not turn into something because please no. And like, thankfully nothing happened, but we were just like, Oh, she's yeah. kind of 
this is not going to end well because she's talking to a lot of older guys who look very desperate. Yeah, because I I know what you mean when it comes to the maturity level. Um, Because sometimes, like what Austin just said, when it comes to the fact that us as Congor sometimes it would be word of wise to maybe like give some of the kids, younger kids advice or let Mm -hmm. them know like you please don't act out like you a you're in a rented space um this is not our space you want to be courteous to everyone around you but at the same time um this is our weekend as adults to relax or like as college students to be like okay i don't have to worry about school or work stress and then you come to this and you're like i don't want to babysit (laughs) yeah because i know my that's what my work essentially is so when I go to cons, I'm going to be like, okay, science, children's science museum mode on, go. And then I'm going to have to, <laughs> you can't stop that. But there, there is that yeah. level of responsibility just because, you know, all of us have been in the community for long enough to be able to police ourselves and to a degree, you know, set the example for other people. Like, right. that doesn't mean that you have to babysit, you know, the con goers, but that does mean that there is a level of responsibility that you do have to you know do what you can to diffuse situations that you perceive as out of control or you know you know, take it to the proper people that you know are meant to handle that like convention staff and make them aware and not just be a passive sort of con goer because you know if you notice a problem and it's a serious issue and you don't say anything and then something happens then i do think that there is a level of responsibility put on you for not doing that Right. And there was there was one girl at the rave as well that um, Michael happened to know. I think she was a family friend or he I don't know how he knows her, but she's 16. And there was a guy like they had beer at the rave, which was actually really cool. And people were keeping it under control, which was great. This one guy who had to have been at least like 23, like is trying to talk to her. And like we were keeping our eye like on things in general, just because we were like, we're we're kind of protective of like the younger people because we know it can get it can get bad and like we don't want them to make a mistake they'll regret. We don't want older people taking advantage of them. Absolutely. So we were kind of just like around and if we saw anything we would say something. He was like offering her beer. Michael just kind of walks up to him Uh-oh. and whispers in his ear. Like Michael is also very very tall and very very thick. He is built. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he didn't he didn't even like try to intimidate him like that though but just like this guy was probably shorter than me so he oh. was, yeah he, he was not very big yeah and michael this towering giant just stands over him whispers in his ear and then the guy gets up and leaves the rave <laughs> excellent. excellent and i was just like he didn't have any ill intention i don't think realistically because what michael told me is he simply whispered in his ear she's 16 and then he just left so i think <laughs> i know the guy knew better i just i think he legitimately didn't yeah but i was just like yeah thank you for that because don't give underage beer and no, also no, don't be hitting on a 16 year old when you're in your 20s he probably didn't know because i know a lot of the younger kids like kids i'm gonna say kids they're children yeah. um like the middle school age, young high school um, age kids, they look older sometimes, especially, especially when, yeah, especially, especially when they're in cosplay. Um, but it's up to the adults if, to be adults and to, yeah. you know, if there's any sort of 
you know, mm-hmm. question even remotely in your mind, you have to be an adult and be like, I'm yeah. going to take the proper precautions. And if they don't, mm-hmm. then it's their fault. Yeah, because right, there was, um, I went to kind of like a similar situation where the adult didn't even have to actually be been told he got. Um, so he was hanging out with these group of young kids. He had no idea. He is about 24. And these kids mm-hmm. were maybe like 14, 15. And, and it's getting really it's getting of. really late. And he's just hanging out with them because they're they seem mature. Cause it's kind of you can give an air of maturity when you're a little younger, especially if you've been going to cons for a while. Like you can give this air of, oh yeah, I'm a seasoned con goer. Um, and they were asking him to buy him alcohol. That that immediately cues in these kids can't buy alcohol, and he asked them how old they are, and they told him their age, and he was like, nope, and he immediately got up and left. He's like, nope, I'm going to be a responsible adult and not give into that, and I don't want to be with this anymore. (laughs) Like, no. Absolutely. And, like, disclaimer, for the, thankfully for the majority of the attendees, they are, like, level-headed people who aren't creepy, and, like, they know better, but it's, like, that 1% that just ruins it. Unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but most adults, like, that guy, he, he knew, like, Oh, I had no idea. Um, I'm just gonna leave. <laughs> but so. uh, I guess, I guess, moving on from this very touchy subject, but very, very important content, um, mm-hmm. definitely that needs to be discussed. So uh, I think that this is a good conversation to have. Um, but uh, Ryan, do you have any any like closing thoughts on your experiences at the con, or you know, any things that you've noticed, you know, with this convention compared to others that you've been to, or things that you like, didn't like, etc. Anything like that? Well. I'm definitely better at dealing with being starstruck because the first time I met little Karibo, I had to make two passes around his table before I had the courage to talk to him. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, like this was definitely a really good con. Like I, I had a very, stumbling over my words. I had a really great time. Like I definitely recommend people go to Oak city, which is in March. And, uh, we might have a table there. Um, and there's going, yeah, fingers crossed. And there's going to be a lot of big names coming next year already that I know of, including Gerard Way and Jeff Lemire, who is a very prominent writer for DC comics. Woo! And he's going to be signing his entire run of green arrow for me. (gasps) Oh yeah. So that's my closing thoughts. I had an amazing weekend and, I definitely recommend people continue to support this con because I went probably four years ago and this was, it was one of the first times it was being run and I was kind of less than impressed because it was a glorified dealer's room at the time. And now it's like, it's entirely different than my first experience. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the rundown. Um, Great to know that you had a super duper experience. And um, Marissa, did you have any final questions for Ryan or any uh, topics that you wanted to bring up? Well, I know we kind of, I think we brought this up maybe in our in our group chat when it came to, like, kind of segued from the Miku girl. But when it comes to the, word for it, the, when anime fans, dresses anime characters to 
Comic Cons, I know there's not as good of like a reception or people are look at them funny. When in anime, like a anime cons, like you see, kinds. But I don't know because I don't actually see cosplayers at really comic conventions besides actually comic books or like say video games. So yeah. did you notice that a lot or? I don't know. That was a really wordy question. <laughs> no, I, I get what you're saying. And there, I think what it is, is no, nobody actually cared that there were anime people walking around and one, there weren't actually that many. Um, the if only thing, did, what's their damage? <laughs> I mean, yeah, nobody really cared. They were in costume. And I think honestly, probably for the most part with, there were a lot of original creators here this year that were just selling their comics at a booth. They probably assumed it was something they had just never seen before. Um, mm. There was an Amano and a Yuno from uh, Future Diary walking around. There was the Vocaloid girl. There was the guy who always dresses as um, Mace Hughes. And Oh, him. Yep. Yeah. There were a couple other just like random ones. Oh, there was a group of the Akatsuki, actually, um, from Naruto. And they, they were all respectable. They were all really nice people. They blended perfectly. And the reason I think that there's more of a stigma about anime people coming to Comic-Con is the anime community is still getting over a pretty bad like public rap for being wild, like I said before. Mm. Also, I think just taste-wise, I think there's a lot more crossover with some people who like comic books also liking anime and less of people who love anime also like comic books. If that makes sense. Okay, yeah. It does make sense, but I mean, I would hesitate to make such sweeping generalizations about fandom intersectionality if... This is purely based on observations of this week. Oh, okay, I see. I got you. Yeah. And the same when it comes to just quote-unquote anime fans in general, because, you know, anime fans are in as many, you know, different shapes and sizes as there are human beings. Definitely. True really hard to say like anime fans are a certain way because it really just depends on what subsection of anime fans right. that you are talking about and when i'm like classifying them as such i'm saying like this is what the public perceives them as right i understand but you know part of you know changing what the public perceives them as is the way that we discuss ourselves and i think that that is uh, an important uh thing to consider as well i'm not saying that you're wrong i'm just saying my my two cents on the on the that's definitely very true and like everybody got along swimmingly this weekend like once again i heard of no like problems that needed to like get spread around the con like wildfire what was the convention shirt i don't think i saw it this year what was the design uh oof i didn't get it actually i couldn't tell you offhand was it something Um, deadpool related I don't remember. We will post a picture on our website once we Google it. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Because we'll, they always have really rad uh, con designs for their shirts. Yeah. Or designs and, for their con shirts. That sounded weird. I know what you mean. Right. Grammar. English. It's a thing. My autocorrect kicked in and fixed it for him. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> um, well, um, I guess just to bring it back to, you know, things that are next for us. Um, some of us are going to be at Super Famicom this weekend. Um, I am on senior staff for Super Famicom, so of course I think it's going to be really awesome because uh, I know that I put a whole lot of work into this and everybody else put a whole lot of work into this. 
So it's going to be a really cool show. Uh, Tori's going to be doing a panel. Sully will be doing a panel. I'll be doing a panel. And there's a whole bunch of uh, really cool guests uh, related to video game culture. We've got some guys um, that have done work for um, uh, different like comic publications related to video games. We've got the guy who was the editor on the Hyrule Historia Encyclopedia for Dark Horse going to be there. Yeah. Uh, going to be talking about his experiences working in that. Uh, the Retronauts podcast, which is a super popular video game podcast. Um, um, they're going to be there as well doing some stuff. And uh, it's going to be a really cool show. And that's in Greensboro this weekend. And then after that, I guess, stay tuned. Um, but we will be updating hopefully more frequently with a lot of uh, articles <laughs> and write-ups and future podcast episodes uh, through uh, our website and on the uh, Podbean accounts and everywhere that we connect our podcast to. And yep. um, uh, There's one other thing that's happening this weekend, that. actually. What's that? Oh, it's your birthday! Yeah, Ryan turns Yay. a quarter of a century old. Woo! <laughs> Ryan. I'm old. <laughs> You're not that old. <laughs> we can convince Ryan to do a giveaway just like Sully and Austin did. Let's launch the Facebook page first. <laughs> but um, I was going to mention because Famic- I was thinking, jumping ahead because I kind of forgot about Famicom since it's not on my radar. Because uh, I'm all the way down in Charlotte. So uh, just keep an eye out. Some of us, not all of us, will be at um, Ichiban Con coming up soon. It's beginning of June. Not certain about panels yet, because they haven't released them, but mm-hmm. who exactly is going? Because I know my, I'm going. I'm not going to uh, go. Tori, Tori and I are tentative. Your guys are tentative. Most most everyone's tentative. I think it's yeah, just I, me. I can't make it this year just because there's not the holiday overlap, so I can't mm-hmm. request I can't request off for like additional holiday time. Then, yeah. yeah. Is John for going Ryan, as well? Ryan will have to do twice as many podcasts to, me- to make up for it. <laughs> I, I will. I will. Yeah, but I think out of um, Third Impact, I think so far I'm the only person that is locked in going. So cool. I think we that is update, true. And we'll update on panels once we get those. That'll be indeed probably beginning of December. Yep. And a little bit more uh, note on me personally, I guess I got the limited edition of Your Name, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Nice. And I was able to get the import Blu-ray of A Silent Voice um, because I'm really excited to watch that English dub. I could, I didn't want to wait for Eleven Arts to release it on Blu-ray, so I just went ahead and bought it um, from all the anime in the UK, and I'm probably gonna rewatch it here pretty soon and watch the English version. Um, I never got a chance to really discuss much about A Silent Voice on a podcast episode, but um. Um, I'm not going to go too far into that, but I will say that it was beautiful and I really enjoyed it. And I was surprised that they were able to condense a fairly long ish manga into a, like a two hour ish movie. So I thought it was really well done. So that's good. Just throwing that out there. No, I'll definitely, I'll definitely have to give that a watch. Yeah, for sure. You both should check it out. It's a pretty solid movie and it's totally worth watching. All right. (laughs) Indeed. Well, I guess that does it for our show. And, um, I guess you guys can follow our podcast on iTunes once I get it back running up there and Google Play, and it'll be on Podbean. And uh, whenever we launch our Facebook, which will be uh, next week, 
Uh, we're going to be sharing everything through there as usual, and we'll keep doing that forever and ever. And um, we've got our website as well that I plugged a little bit earlier, thirdimpactanime.wordpress.com, and that's where you can find our podcast archive. You can find all of our articles. You can find our bios, our contact, and all of that sort of junk. So that's all I can think of at this point. So unless you guys have anything else you want to say. I think that's it. All right, guys. Well, thank you all for tuning in and listening to this episode, and we'll see you in the next one.